We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare, to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Before the U.S. Constitution begins, we find this preamble penned by our founding fathers. This is an introductory statement that tells us why the Constitution was written, and it gives to us, the readers, the people, the impetus, the motivation for wanting to see a nation abide by it. Today, we are beginning a new series, a new short series in our larger series in Exodus. And this short series is on the Ten Commandments. Now today, before we jump right into the Ten Commandments, uh, I want to spend some time today looking at this short preamble found right before the commandments. It goes like this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Much like our Constitution's preamble, this verse sets up the Ten Commandments by teaching us how we should view it, why we should keep it, and what its purpose is. And so today, uh, for today's message, I want to break down uh, the message into four questions. This is the structure. I want to answer four questions. What, why, who, and how? In other words, what are the Ten Commandments? Why should we obey the Ten Commandments? Why should we keep the Ten Commandments? The third is who. Who is giving us these commandments? And the fourth, how. How can we obey? So let's jump right into it. What are the Ten Commandments? Um, yeah, what are they? Uh, let me first by, begin by saying what they are not. What they are not. The Ten Commandments are not simple rules. The Ten Commandments are not elementary do's and don'ts, but rather the Ten Commandments are teachings. They are guiding principles on how we as God's people are to live. In fact, a literal translation of Ten Commandments is ten words. In other words, the Ten Commandments could be understood as ten teachings or ten sayings, uh, ten words that God gives to His people. Now, for example, uh, if you remember uh, back in elementary school, right, many, many years ago, uh, you had something called classroom rules, right? And I have some as an example for us, classroom rules. Now, there are rules like raise your hand before you speak, and there are rules like don't run in the hallways. But you also have rules like respect each other or try your best. Now, the last two are actually real classroom rules. Uh, they're classroom rules for a fifth grade class in Lower Moreland teacher, Mrs. Kim, <laughs> okay? uh, But, you know, you, you understand, these are classroom rules. There are classroom rules like raise your hand, don't run in the hallways, but there are also rules like 
respect each other, and try your best. Now, while the first set of rules are pretty straightforward, right? They apply to only one circumstance. They're simple, just black and white. The second group of rules are more principles. They're guiding points. They're teaching points. Now, the second group still demands obedience. We have to follow them, but they require more thinking and more wisdom in terms of application. Likewise is the case with the Ten Commandments. For instance, consider the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother. You know, we can ask the question, what does that mean? What does honoring your father and your mother look like? Does it mean financially? Does it mean in obedience? Does it mean that you, you know, say yes to everything they say? Does it mean that you respect them in your hearts? What does it mean to honor your father and your mother, right? And what does it mean to honor your mother and your father when it's in opposition to maybe the first commandment, right? So what I'm trying to say is the Ten Commandments aren't just simple rules, elementary do's and don'ts. They require much more thinking. They require deep reflection. They require wisdom in terms of application. And the Ten Commandments, that's why we're actually going to spend about 12 weeks in the Ten Commandments. We're going to go through each commandment to try to, try to parse out what it means for us. Now, let me just say this here before we, uh, as we start this off. Uh, if you are a Christian and you really want to live a life that pleases God, you want to live a life that glorifies the Son, you want to live a life that walks in line with the Holy Spirit, the Ten Commandments, this is where you should start. The Ten Commandments is necessary and it's adequate for the Christian life. That's why if you look at, you know, church catechisms, catechisms which are essentially discipleship books, the first discipleship books, if you look at church catechisms, there's almost always an emphasis on the Ten Commandments. And so these commandments aren't just simple, you know, do's and don'ts, uh, something that's elementary or rudimentary, but these commandments are teaching points, they're guiding points that God gives to us that He desires for us to live by. So that's what the Ten Commandments are. Now we have to ask the question then, why? Why do we keep the Ten Commandments? And I think this is an important question because if you are the least bit familiar with Christianity, you'll know that the gospel is not about earning your salvation through the law, but the gospel is about the one who earned for you salvation through perfect obedience. The gospel is about Jesus. And so, one becomes a Christian not by obedience to the law, but by faith in Jesus. Now, please, if you've been coming to church for some time now and you've never really understood anything or you've never really remembered anything, please, just remember this. Despite what you might have heard in the past or what you might have misunderstood in the past, despite what maybe the church might, church might portray, Please remember Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith you have been saved. 
We have been saved by grace through faith, not by obedience to the law. And so the question still remains for us then. Why do I have to obey the commandments? Why do I have to obey what God says here? Well, I want you to consider the context. Think about Exodus. Recall how Exodus begins. Okay? The Israelites, they were slave in Egypt for 400 years. Now, when God comes to save them, He doesn't come to them and say, here, here are Ten Commandments. I want you to keep these Ten Commandments for seven years at a 60% success rate. And if you do, then I will come back and I will save you. That's not what God does. No, God, He comes to them out of His mercy and out of His grace. And He comes and He saves them. And God, He didn't put His people on a uh, credit rebuilding plan. He didn't put them under probation. No, He says, I will come and save you. I mean, there were even times during the Exodus when the people said, hey God, no, we don't want this. We don't want your salvation. There were times when the people said, no, 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 this is not what we want. You can leave, God. We don't want any trouble. You know, the Israelites didn't even actually know who God was. But God, He came and He saved them out of His mercy. And now that He has saved them, now that they are finally free, what do you think would be the best way to love and care for His people? What do you think would be the best way to care and love for a people who knew nothing but slavery? Consider, they are a new people now. They are entering into a new land. And what they need is a new way of life. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. You see, the Ten Commandments are given so that the people who have been freed can remain free. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You know, the chapter right before Exodus 20, Exodus 19, God calls His people a kingdom of priests. He says, you are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. The next chapter after, Exodus 20, describes what a kingdom of priests actually look like, how a holy nation ought to operate. You know, in the Bible, we actually don't have to look far to see what a people without divine instruction looks like. You know, shortly after Exodus 20, when Moses, when God speaks the Ten Commandments to the people, Moses, he actually goes back on top of Sinai to receive the rest of the law. And there the people are down by the, uh, by the mountain and they're waiting for Moses to come back. They're without any instruction. They don't know what to do. And they wait and they wait and they wait. Moses is nowhere to be seen. They're without guidance. They're without any instruction. And so the people decide, you know what? We should offer sacrifices to God. We should worship God, right? That's a good idea, right? Well, we think it is. But this is what happens. The people, they decide to worship God without any instructions, and then they start to collect gold earrings, gold rings. They to collect all the gold. And the people, without any guidance, without any instruction, they take all this gold, and they make this golden calf. 
And when they make this golden calf, this is what the people say. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When they make this golden statue, you know what they say? They say, guys, this is the God who has saved you. Why do we need instructions? Why do we need commandments? Because left to our own, we will always choose slavery over freedom. We will always choose sin over righteousness and falsehood over truth. Psychiatrist Norman Doidge says this, the story of the golden calf reminds us that without rules, we quickly become slaves to our passions. And there's nothing freeing about that. The story suggests something more. Unchaperoned and left to our own untutored judgment, we are quick to aim low and worship qualities that are beneath us. In this case, an artificial animal that brings out our own animal instincts in a completely unregulated way. Norman Doidge actually writes this in Jordan Peterson's bestseller, 12 Rules for Life. Both of them are not Christians, but they understand through this story that without instructions, without commandments from God, we are left to our own unregulated ways, and we will stoop below ourselves. The Ten Commandments are not given so that God could restrict us, restrain us, and enslave us. No, the Ten Commandments are given so that we who have been freed can remain free. The Ten Commandments were given by God so that we can reflect the identity that we have already been given the identity of a kingdom of priests. And so, please, I know when we say commandments, we immediately think, oh, that's so restrictive. But the commandments are actually way to freedom. So the third point, the the third question we have to ask, who is giving these commandments? Who is giving these commandments? And that's an easy answer. The passage tells us it's God. It's God. But I want you to know exactly what he says. Exodus 2.20 in the preamble, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You know, if God wanted to be terse, if he wanted to be really, really short, he could have just said, I am God. And he could have given the commandments. He could have also said, I am the creator of heaven and earth and he could have given the commandments. He could have also said, if he wanted to be really mean, he could, have, he could just say, I can break you. You shall have no other gods before me, right? You know, you remember that, that scene in Rocky, where, where Rocky IV with Drago, you know, he says, I must break you, and boom, you know, he lays down his fist. You know, God could say, I must, I can break you, and he could have just given the Ten Commandments, right? And if hypothetically, if that was the case, in all those situations, you and I, what would we say? Yeah, some powerful being said we must do these things, so we do them. 
But that's not what he says. He says, I am the Lord, your God. He makes it personal. He doesn't say, I am the Lord, the God, but he says, I am the Lord, your God. And he talks not about his power. He doesn't flex his muscles, and he says, I have infinite might. In fact, God doesn't even talk about his judgment by saying, if you disobey me, I will do these things. No, what God mentions is redemption. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He speaks of redemption. You know, the Ten Commandments are deeply personal. My God has given them to me, and your God has given them to you. You know, I know when it comes to laws, especially the laws of the land, you know, I know it's hard to, to, to keep and to abide in because we always wonder, right, who are these laws actually affecting, right? I, I don't know about you, but I, I think about that all the time, right? If I keep these laws, who is it actually benefiting, right? And if I disobey, if I transgress the law, who is it actually hurting, right? For instance, if you're at a traffic light, right, and there are no cars around, and you just run through that light, you break that traffic law, you don't hit anybody because no one's there, who are you actually transgressing against? Who are you hurting? Right? I, I think about that all the time. I mean, if, or consider insider trading. This is, a, this is a hotly debated topic, but insider trading, let's say if you take inside information and you buy stocks or you sell stocks with information that the public doesn't have and you make a profit, who is the actual victim in all of that? Who are you wronging? You know, this, this has been debated for, for decades now. You know, economists and judges are trying to figure out, yeah, why is insider trading wrong? And, you know, this one judge says, insider trading is bad because it's an assault on the free market. You're hurting the free market. Yeah, like people really care about the free market. Right? Economists say, you know, insider trading is bad because you are hurting a potential buyer or seller. A potential buyer or seller. Who, who do you know? You don't even know that person. It's a hypothetical person. By disobeying, by transgressing a law, who am I really, really hurting? You know, when it comes to rules, regulations, and laws, most of us, we just do it because we have to. There isn't really a personal element involved in it. But when it comes to the Ten Commandments, there is. It is the Lord, your God, who has given them to you. So in disobedience, we are violating not a natural order, but we are sinning directly against God. Not just in disobedience, but in obedience. When we follow God's command, we aren't just contributing to society or cultivating a more inhabitable land for others, but when we obey, we are primarily practicing obedience unto God. The Ten Commandments were not given by the elders of Israel. They weren't given by Moses. They were given to us from my God, from your God. God has directly given this to you. 
there is a deeply personal element involved in it. So, the final question, how can we obey? How can we obey? You know, I just want you to know, on this side of the cross, because of the finished work of Jesus, all of the law, all of the commandments have been fulfilled in Jesus. Now, without getting too in-depth into this, there are various laws. There are very, very, you know, different and diverse laws. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, Jesus has fulfilled this law by inscribing now these laws on our hearts. There are other laws that Jesus has fulfilled and made obsolete. We don't have to keep anymore. For instance, do not eat pork, right? That's a law that Jesus has fulfilled and is obsolete now. We no longer have to keep. But the Ten Commandments, God's moral law, as He has fulfilled them, He has now written them upon our hearts. Look at what um, Hebrews says. Okay, this is a really cool feature on our uh, new software. But Hebrews 10, Hebrews is a book that talks all about Jesus' fulfilled work, how Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament law. And when it comes to this law, the moral law, this is what the author writes. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the law, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And he ends in this way, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. See, the author of Hebrews, as he's talking about the effect of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, he's saying this, the law, the moral law, has now been written upon your hearts and upon your minds. And because the price of sin has been paid, because forgiveness has been attained, God's law can now be obeyed, not in fear, but in faith. The law of God, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments can now be followed not in trepidation, but in thanksgiving. You know, I think God in Exodus 20, and also we find it more clearly through Hebrews 10, God, He is giving to us the motivation, the impetus for obedience. It's not fear, but it's trust and thanksgiving. You know, I know when it comes to commands, we modern people tend to take a step back. We're very, very allergic to words like requirements, regulations, and we hate red tape. And on top of that, we are very, very skeptical. You know, when someone asks you to do something, our first response is, why? Or when someone gives you a command we being skeptical, we question that person's motivation. But here, in Exodus 22, when he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, God is telling us why we can obey. He's telling us that we don't have to be skeptical with God. We don't have to be cautious about getting too deep into the Ten Commandments. 
Because God is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has redeemed us. And now He has written this law on our hearts and our minds. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10 tells us, with boldness and confidence, we can take God at His word. These commandments are for our good. These commandments are for our people who have been freed. And they help us to remain free. You know, sometimes uh, my boys would come to me with a request. They would come to me with a request, and when I say no, no, you can't do that, no, you can't have that, sometimes they respond in this way. They say, well, Matthew's dad lets Matthew play video games on the weekend. They say, well, Mark's dad lets Mark eat gummy bears. Why can't I have gummy bears? John, or Luke's mom, says it's okay to watch scary movies. Why don't you let me watch scary movies? And John's dad lets John sleep over his friend's house. Why aren't you letting me do these things? Now, again, I'm not referring to uh, any of you or your children. I know my boys can sometimes hang out with your boys, but please, I, please don't be offended. I'm not talking about you. I've used hypothetical names, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're gospel <laughs> writers, okay? Please, it, they're not about you. But, you know, my, whenever my boys, they come to me and they use this tactic, they say, well, Matthew's dad lets him do it. Why don't you? And I always ask them this. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is Luke's dad your father? No. I'm your father. And while I'm sure Luke's dad has his son's best interest in mind, I also have your best interest in mind. And I say, I am your father. You listen to me. You know, what I don't say is this. I don't say, I'm Stephen Joe. Listen to me. Yeah, I don't go to my kids and say, well, I'm much older than you. I'm an adult. You're a kid, so you have to listen to me. And I sure don't pull the pastor's card. I don't say, I'm a pastor. Take my advice, little kid. No, what I say is, I am your father. Listen to me. And, you know, when it gets really serious, when they keep talking back, well, it's not fair, you know, Luke can do this, Mark can do this. When, he, when they keep talking back and it gets really, really, really uh, serious, I, I just simply say, then go live with them. <laughs> go to their house then. You know, whenever I say, hey, listen, I'm your father. You have to listen to me. And, you know, as I do that, I remind them, hey, I have loved you and I have cared for you this entire time. Please, don't mistrust me. I have your best interest in mind. I, I tell my boys, listen, I am caring for you by saying no. And whenever I recall, listen, I've loved you and I've cared for you your entire life, and when I, you know, remind them, when I take them through that entire journey, you know, they really start to get emotional and they start to break down, right? They're still young, so it works, you know? They, they start to cry and they get emotional and, you know, they say, yes, Daddy, you love me, you know, and I'm thinking, yes, I must break you, <laughs> you know? I'm thinking, yes, I have to, right? Um, but, you know, there are times as, as a parent where I have to constantly remind them, 
I am your Father, and I have loved you, and I have cared for you, and this is for your good. You know, how can we obey the Ten Commandments? How is it that we can obey? Well, it's to know that God is for us and not against us. It's to know that these commandments are actually for our good. That God has given to them, God has given these to us because He deeply loves us and He cares for us. He has freed us and He wants us to stay free. How can we obey to understand that the one who gives these commandments is not some God up there in the sky, but that He is your God. He has given them to you for your benefit. So as we go through the Ten Commandments, and some commandments that you shall have no other gods before me, you know, we might wonder, well, God, is God such a selfish, ambitious, authoritative God that He just wants our soul devotion? There might be moments when God says, hey, don't commit adultery. And we'll explain what that means. And you're thinking, man, that is difficult. Can I do that? Do I even want to do that? We have to go back to this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have saved you. I have redeemed you. And this is for your good. Do not be afraid to go deep into it. Do not be skeptical of me, but trust that this is for your good. And may God call us to deeper obedience as we study his work further. Join me in prayer at this time.